0: Okay, you got to catch him if I throw him. Okay, let's put one over here. Oh, well, that was pretty close. I don't know if i get that far, Joe. Oh, okay. Well, hey, at the end of each service today, uh, oh, sorry, in your face. No, oh. at the end of the service today, I think there are some containers of uh, footballs back there, so uh, grab you one on your way. We didn't want to get a give everybody a football on the way in, because then it would everybody would be throwing them at me during the service, so we didn't want that to happen. Um, wow, hey, last night, you know, my wife said, Pastor, you know, not, she doesn't call me Pastor Chris, so she said like, say no. I make her call me, no, I'm just thinking, oh, no. Um, last night she said, Chris, you know, who, who are you cheering for in this game? You know, because, you know, the Georgia-Carolina uh, game, because she knows I really don't like either team very much, and... Um, so anyway, sorry Carolina fans, go Georgia, whatever. I actually, it's one of those games where I watch where I go, could they not just both implode on the field, you know, and something, no, but anyway, we're, uh, I, I know we've got, uh, we got fans of all kinds of teams here this morning, and uh, we're glad that you're here today. We love our football, don't we? We do. I mean, um, we have been counting, down many of you uh, have been counting down the days for months now. Just waiting for the football season to begin. And then there are those of you who are dreading the next several months of the football season. But uh, college or pro, it really makes very little difference here uh, in the Deep South. We love football. From, for many people, from the beginning of September to January, life revolves around football. Uh, high school games on Friday night, college football all day Saturday, pro football on Sunday. And then, of course, you got what? Monday night football, Thursday night football, and uh, now even fantasy football. Raise, okay. <laughs> Raise your hand if you're in a fantasy football league. Anybody here? Okay, we got a bunch of Coastal guys. And last week, I talked smack about about Sean and I ended up scoring the least amount of points in the entire league last week, but uh, I don't know why. But uh, anyway, uh, but whether it's South Carolina or Clemson, uh, Dallas or Pittsburgh, uh, we are known by the teams that we pull for. A lot of people wonder, Pastor Chris, why are you such a you know a Clemson fan? You know, did you everybody did you go to Clemson? Of course, nobody going into the ministry went to Clemson. Okay, first of all, let's just go ahead and say that out, out loud. But uh, no, you know, gr- I grew up here. You know, I grew up on James Island, and you know, growing up in Charleston, you either, I mean, you just kind of end up picking a team, and uh, I had a lot of family and friends growing up uh, that at a young age that went to Clemson. And so it just became kind of a natural thing. In fact, uh, my, my my grandfather's brother, uh, it was a graduate of Clemson, and uh, he passed away, and my grandparents gave me uh, his Clemson ring. And I have up here with me uh, a 1930 uh, Clemson class ring uh, when it was called Clemson A&M, uh, Clemson A&M College. So, you know, as a kid, when a kid gets that, you know, you're a lifelong fan. So that kind of explains Explains that, but typically that's the way it is, right? We are we are lifelong fans, and sometimes pulling for one team means what hating another team. Uh, and for for a lot of you, well, you know, pro, college, even high school, there's no in between. And we get emotional, don't we, about our teams? I mean, we yell and scream and cry and complain. And you will go up and you will talk to a complete stranger. If they are wearing your team's logo, won't you? I mean, never, you know, any other time of the season, any other time of the year where that happened, you would do that. But if they're wearing that jersey or that logo, you'll talk to them. Now, and there's nothing like seeing a game in person, is there? I mean, that's that's, that's the exciting thing. It's not just a game for us, for many of you. Uh, It's an event. Uh, You plan what you're going to wear, maybe even what you're going to paint on your body. No, I didn't do that. Okay. Uh, (laughs) Anybody do that? We got any body painters in here? Nobody wants to confess to that. And then, of course, there is the tailgating and the food. Of course, we got that outside this morning. We're excited about that. In fact, after the service day, we uh, encourage all of you just to pile outside. And, man, there's cornhole and there's, there's lots and lots of food. Go check out all the different uh, tailgating experiences. Uh, there, there are paper products and drinks uh, in the center under a tent. And uh, pick up some of that. And there's also, we want you to vote today on the, we're just going to call it the best overall tailgating experience. And so you can, you know, creativity, food, you know, maybe just some smack talk, whatever you want to include in that for you, uh, vote, because we have a grand prize we're going to give to those folks outside. Uh, but there's a, for some people, though, you know, think about it, hearing, uh, seeing the smoke and uh, hearing 2001, right? That just does it for you. For other people, it's running down the hill and rubbing the rock, uh, playing between the hedges, Uh, Hearing the band play Rocky Top. That is annoying, isn't it? Okay, um, (laughs) let's just admit that one. Um, Or watching Chief Osceola, is that his name? You know, ride to the center field and throw down that flaming spear. Uh, No matter what the experience is, for some of you, those are holy moments uh, performed in sanctuaries across the country. Uh, Game on. Now, let me ask you a question. When you hear that phrase... Game on. What do you think? You know, what comes to mind? What does it mean for you? To me, here's what it means. To me, it means it's time. To me, it means let's get it on. Let's, let's get going. You know, it, it's time. It's time to get in the game. It's time to, you know, to get out of the stands and down on the field and uh, to go to battle. Uh, it carries with it this sense of, of moving forward. Marching forward. You know, as a church, as a follower of Jesus, to me the phrase game on means it's time for us to lock arms, to march forward, to beat down the gates of hell and to rescue people one life at a time. It means it's time for us to get busy. It means that we are we are just getting started and the best is yet to come. Game on. Now, here's the truth though. A whole lot of people today, and maybe some of you here this morning, you simply just don't believe that. You know, you can say it out loud, but personally and practically, you really don't believe it. Now, here's why. In many ways, you think your playing days are long over. What I mean by that is that you think you've blown it. You know, you think your past is just too messed up. You have done things and experienced things that in your mind disqualify you from ever, ever being used by God in a great way. You know, for you, it is not game on. You believe it's game over. Game over. Let me tell you something today. This is what I want you to hear loud and clear. Nothing, nothing could be further from the truth. It is not game over. Our God, listen to me, our God is not finished with you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in a future. What is he saying? He's saying, listen, there is hope. You know, he's saying, you have a future. I've got good plans for your life. You know what he's saying? He's saying, it is not game over. It is game on. You see, the Bible, at its core, is a story of redemption. It is all about our God going to great, great lengths, doing whatever it takes to get you back. To draw you back to himself. So much so, listen to this, that he was willing to sacrifice his one and only son, Jesus, for your sin and for mine. And then the Bible is full of example after example after example of men and women. Listen to this. Who absolutely thought it was game over. I mean, who had blew it, absolutely blown it, completely messed up. And because of their mistakes or because of their moral failures, they actually thought that God could not and would not ever use them again. They thought their time was past. They thought it was game over. And then over and over and over again, you see what would happen is that if they would simply just give their lives over to Him, if they would just put their trust in Him, they were forgiven, they were restored, and they ended up doing amazing, amazing things. Now, in general, I happen to believe that there are probably two categories of people who think it's game over, who think that for them, that God can't use them. Now the first category is made up of people who believe it's game over because of their circumstances. In other words what I mean by that is the reason God can't use me is because he doesn't use people with my particular family background. You know, my family secret. He doesn't use people Uh, from uh, their side of the tracks. He doesn't use people with with their educational background. He doesn't use people from your socioeconomic background. He doesn't use people who have uh, been left high and dry by a spouse. Basically, for them, they think that they have been dealt just so bad of a hand and the cards are so stacked against them that they could never amount to anything in the eyes of God. They can never be used greatly by God in in any way, shape, or form. Well, there's a story of a a man in the Bible uh, who endured incredible circumstances out of his control. And uh, he could have easily given up because of these circumstances, blamed his circumstances. And yet, the Bible talks about how he remained faithful and God ended up doing something amazing with his life. You see, God wasn't finished with him yet. It wasn't game over. It was game on. His name is Joseph. It's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Years ago, uh, we did a series uh, based on his life. And the story begins for him in Genesis chapter 37. And I would really encourage you to go home and read the story for yourself in its entirety. But to kind of give you a synopsis of what happened at the age of 17. Okay? So he's just an, an older teenager. Joseph experiences this series of tragedies. I mean, it actually seemed like just that at the moment, in a moment he had everything going for him and then everything turned against him. And just when you thought it got bad and it couldn't get any worse, it got worse. His life completely fell apart. For the next 13 years, his, his life could have made anybody severely depressed. I mean, you think you have a crazy family. Raise your hand if you actually think that your family could get on Jerry Springer. I mean, you, you really believe that, okay? Well, <laughs> Joseph had that type of family, okay? He, he was he was hated by his brothers because he was his dad's favorite. They, they, they brutalized him, they intended to kill him, and then they ended up selling him into slavery. In a matter of hours, Joseph went from being the favorite son of a wealthy father to the lowly slave of a henchman in Egypt. And he's only 17 years old. But he remains faithful, he works hard. Instead of blaming God, instead of blaming his circumstances or becoming bitter, he determines, you know what? I'm just going to be the best slave that I can be. And his master Potiphar noticed just how How diligent he was. Noticed his hard work. And noticed how he seemed to have the favor of God on his life. And he ends up promoting him to his administrative assistant. But then trouble comes again. Potiphar's wife tries to seduce Joseph. Now he's faithful. And in the beginning he resists her advances. And then he decides he's just going to do the very best he can to completely avoid her. But then one day she grabs him. And she tries to force him to bed. Joseph runs out of the house. She's ticked off because of his refusal, maybe even a little embarrassed. You know what she does? She accuses him of rape, and he gets thrown into prison. Now, on top of all of that, you think it can't get worse. You know, Joseph, uh, even though he becomes a model prisoner, and he actually deserves early release, well, the man who could have made his pardon possible, forgets all about him, leaves him in prison. And so Joseph received undeserved treatment from his family. Think about it. Unexpected restrictions uh, he, uh, un, uh, from circumstances, untrue accusations. He is abandoned from, by a friend. I mean, it, it really looks like, if you read the story, you think, man, this is game over. This is it. This is a absolutely hopeless situation. Now, how would our response be in times of discouragement? How would we react if year after year after year to terrible, terrible circumstances completely out of your control? That would break a lot of people, wouldn't it? And you might even expect that Joseph would become bitter toward God and and assume that God would never use him again. But the Bible simply says that Joseph remained faithful, and he put his trust in God. Now get this, as a result of that, Joseph's life, the rest of his life, actually becomes the best of his life because God wasn't finished with him yet. And he ends up doing some amazing, amazing things. He goes from being in a pit to being a slave to being a prisoner, and then God does something Unbelievable! It was almost as though God himself just reached into that prison and said, okay, Joseph, listen to me. It is not game over. Are you ready? It's game on. And he raised Joseph up to become, you ready for this? Second in command in all of Egypt. He was only second in command to Pharaoh himself. God used a former slave to help two nations uh, survive famine, Egypt and the children of Israel. So after 20 years later, when his brothers come calling, yes, his brothers, the very brothers who sold him into slavery, they now, 20 years later, come into Egypt Begging for food so they don't die. Guess who they had to ask for food? Joseph. Now, they didn't recognize him. Again, this is years later. But Joseph recognized them. And the last time he saw them, he was 17 years old. Now he's almost 40. And you got to read this story for yourself because it really is unbelievable. I mean, here he has in his hands... The perfect opportunity for revenge. The very, you know, brothers who had ridiculed him, abused him, beat him, threw him in a pit, sold him into slavery. Now the tables are turned and he has the power of life and death over them. Now listen to Joseph's response in Genesis 45. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you had sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. In fact, listen to what he says in Genesis 50 verse 20. You ready for this? Listen to this. As far as I am concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. He brought me to the high position that I have today so that I could what? What does it say? Save the lives of many people. Again, listen to me this morning for a second. I don't know the hand that you were dealt. I don't know all the pain that has been put on on you by other people. But I do know this our God is not done with you. It is not game over. You know, and what others might have meant for evil in your life, to harm you, to hurt you, our God still has the miraculous ability to turn that into good. So much so that just like Joseph, he can actually use you and your testimony and what was done to you to actually... Save the lives of many people. That's exactly the message of Romans 8.28. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good. Does that say that everything is good? No. But our God has the ability to cause everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Listen, the message is game on. God's not finished with you. It's not game over regardless of the circumstances that were put on on you by even other people, even if they meant it for evil. But there's another category of people who feel like it's game over for them and that God could never use them. And I think this is actually a bigger category of people, a larger group of people. It is not the cards that they were dealt. It is not the circumstances out of their control. I think it's actually the mistakes that they've made. You might sit here today and you'd be thinking to yourself, you see, Pastor Chris, it's me. You see, I'm the one who made the decision. I walked away from God. I did it. I took the drink. I did the line. I'm the one who left my spouse. I'm the one who hurt my children. I can't blame it on anybody else. You know, there's nobody else to take the blame but me. I'm damaged goods. You see, I, I actually believe I'm, I'm beyond the reach of God because of what I did, not my circumstances. I understand that. I did it. And so surely for me, it is game over. And if the truth were told, the only reason why maybe you're here today is because deep down inside, you simply hope that maybe just maybe you could earn a few points and when it's all said and done, God might turn his head for a second and maybe you could sneak into heaven because you think that's the only chance you'd ever have. At least that's how you feel. And there's no way that God could ever use you to accomplish anything great. You made your bed. And now you have to lie in it. And for me, this is where it gets good. Because I love talking to people about this stuff. Because you see, the Bible is full of real people just like you and me total screw ups, moral failures, people who actually have messed up so bad that they just knew that it was game over. I mean, read read the Bible. People like Moses, you know, we look at him, we think, man, one of the greatest leaders of all time. The man who, who God used to set his people free, to lead them to the promised land. But before he did, do you know that Moses was a murderer? But it wasn't game over. Or people like Rahab. I mean, she was a prostitute in a pagan land. She sold her body for money to anybody who'd pay for it. And yet God used her to hide the two Israelite spies before God's people overtook Jericho. But that's not all. In Matthew chapter one, Rahab is actually listed in the genealogy of Jesus. Rahab, a former prostitute. It wasn't game over. And then there's David. You you know, we all know David is the this great leader, great king, great warrior, defeats Goliath, leads the nation of Israel, but he was also a murderer. An adulterer, but it wasn't game over for him. And then in the New Testament, you got people like Paul. I mean, honestly, for the longest time, Paul didn't have a relationship with God. He just had religion. You know, he was he was one of those legalistic Pharisees who persecuted Christians. He had, his job was actually to help round them all up and make sure they got killed. You know, you know, kind of send them to a mock trial, but really he was sending them to their judgment. But it wasn't game over for him. You see, he ends up meeting Jesus and God set him free from religion and used him to become one of the great leaders of the church and ends up writing half of the New Testament. I mean, you could just keep going on and on and on. But one of my favorite examples, favorite examples, has really got to be a man by the name of Peter. And I really believe that when most people are asked, if there is a follower of Jesus that you most relate to, who is it? Most people end up saying Peter. More, they identify with him more than any of the others. They tend to answer Peter because he's so human. I mean, one minute he's up, the next minute he's down. He ends up putting his foot in his mouth all the time. I mean, one minute he's walking on water, you know, defending Jesus against soldiers. And then the next minute he's sinking in water and he abandons Jesus. In fact, that's the one decision, the one failure that Peter makes all on his own. And if there was ever a time in somebody's life where they had to think, man, this is it. I mean, game over. This mistake has got to be too big. You know, I've gone too far. I could never come back. This had to be it. Uh, it's the final hours of Jesus' life, Okay? Before he's arrested, they're in the garden of Gethsemane and Jesus tells Peter and the disciples, Hey, listen, all of you, you know, you you say you're my followers, but all of you, you're all going to desert me. Now listen to the exchange that follows between Jesus and Peter. Peter, Jesus replied, the truth is this very night before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. No! No! no way uh uh-uh, uh peter insisted not even if i have to die with you i will never deny you now that by itself that doesn't sound so bad right you know he's just he's just being boastful he loves jesus but later that same night jesus is betrayed by judas and he's taken by the soldiers everyone turns tail and runs the questioning begins. The beating begins. And then it gets worse. Mark 14, beginning of verse 66. Listen to this. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, again, he's watching from a distance all this going on. As Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came and seeing Peter warming himself, She looked at him and said, hey, you, you too, you were with Jesus the Nazarene. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you're talking about. And he went out onto the porch. And then a maid saw him and began once more to say to to the bystanders, hey, look, that's one of them. But again, he was denying it. And after a little while, the bystanders were again saying to Peter, hey, surely you are one of them because you're from Galilee, right? But he began to what? What's it say? Curse and swear. Basically, I'm just going to be blunt here. Basically, you know what he says? Damn it, I don't know him. That's what the Bible says. And guess what happens? Immediately, a cock crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had made the remark to him before a cock crows twice you will deny me three times and he began to weep. Now you talk about going too far. I mean you got to think in his mind it is absolutely game over. You know the story. Jesus is crucified, but three days later, he is resurrected and he comes back to life just as he said he would. He appears to the disciples, but Peter, Peter knows what he did. I mean, again, these weren't circumstances laid on him, okay? Don't don't miss that. He made the choice. He did it. He walked away. He cursed Jesus. In fact, I think he's so dejected. Listen to what he says in John 21. He says, I'm going fishing. In other words, what does that mean? It means, hey, yeah, I've been following Jesus now for like these three years, but I'm going back to my old job. I'm going fishing. I'm finished. What? Game over. So, Peter and some of the disciples, they're out fishing. Jesus meets them on the shore and he builds a fire. And around that fire, after they had eaten, he looks Peter in the eye and he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because he asked him a third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And then Jesus said this, listen. Feed my sheep. In other words, you know what he was saying to Peter? He's saying, Peter, I actually have an assignment for you. And it's going to be a big one. I want you to be the very first gospel preacher. You are going to be a shepherd in my flock. Peter, I am not finished with you. If you're willing... It is not game over. It's what, Coastal? It's game on. Now, Jesus later returns to heaven. The disciples had all gathered in an upstairs room in Jerusalem. And just like Jesus said, the Holy Spirit of God descended upon them. And then Peter stands up in front of thousands of people. And he boldly proclaims, Jesus, to all of the movers and the shakers of Israel. And this is what he basically said. He said, men of Israel, listen to me. Jesus of Nazareth was a man who lived among us. He, he was proved to be God by all the miracles and the signs that he did. And you know it. You saw it. You witnessed it. You conspired to crucify him. But God raised him from the dead. And we all know it. Hundreds of you have seen him. And now this Jesus whom you crucified, God has exalted him to the right hand of the Father, and he is the Lord, he is the Christ, and one day he is going to be your judge. I mean, get that. Here is the guy whose courage wilted in front of a little servant girl just three weeks later. And now boldly he stands up in front of thousands and he preaches Jesus as Lord in front of all these people. And the Bible says that actually 3,000 people accepted the message that day, repented, and were baptized. And that began the early church. And you and I are now here as a result of that today. Peter continues to preach and heal in the name of Jesus. He's he's even later arrested and thrown into prison himself and ordered to stop. Stop Stop talking about Jesus. But Peter courageously responds, I'm sorry. I don't obey you. I I obey God. In fact, in Acts 4.13, we read this. Listen to this. When they saw the courage of Peter and John, and they realized that these were just ordinary, unschooled men, they were astonished, and they took note that simply these men had been with Jesus. You see, God was not finished with Peter. Peter abandoned Jesus in his hour of greatest need. Not only did he abandon him, he cursed him and he denied that he ever knew him. But God wasn't finished with him. And here's the message you need to hear loud and clear today and God's not finished with you. I don't care what the circumstances have been done to you in your life, I don't care what decisions you have made. God's not done. He has a plan for your life. Listen, I don't care where you've been. I don't care what happened last night. It is not game over. It's what? It's game on. He's just waiting on you to trust Him. He's just waiting on you to take a step toward Him. And then, here's the good news. Oh my gosh. Do you realize that, and then what God starts he finishes. He completes it. So we think, man, I don't know if I could, you know, follow God or follow Jesus because you know I'm gonna I'm gonna start and I'm gonna fail. And you know, listen to Philippians 1:6. And I am sure that God, who began the good work within you, He will continue his work until it is finally finished on that day when Christ Jesus comes back again. None of us are finished, right? I mean, if you're still, if you're not dead, God's not done. You're still a work in progress. And what the Bible says is that God will finish his work in you. He will complete it. He began it. He will finish it. He's not done with you. And then, oh my goodness, it gets better. That's not all. Not only is God not finished with you, but if you will simply trust him, you ready for this? He'll actually give you the desire to obey him, and the power to do it. Philippians 2.13, listen to this. For God is working in you, giving you both the desire to obey him and the power to do what pleases him. Man, what a beautiful gift. You see, some of you, you're here today and you're thinking, well, you know, I got... I can't follow God because I got to clean up my life, and and you know I, I, I'm going to fail. I'm going to make mistakes. Of course you are, but God's not finished with you. It's not game over. It's game on. What God starts, He will finish. And not only what He starts will He finish. He'll actually give you the power, the will, and the desire to follow Him. If you'll trust Him. If you'll trust Him. Listen, Peter stood up in front of thousands and says and said, this Jesus, whom you crucified. And you know what? Guess what? We all crucified Jesus because he went to the cross on our behalf. He died for our sin. So in other words, it was my sin, my screw-ups, my moral failure that put Jesus on that cross. So Jesus went to the cross for me. He died, he was buried, but three days later, he rose from the dead. And it was witnessed by hundreds of people, and it completely changed their lives and turned the world upside down forever. And if you would simply put your trust in him, it is not game over. It's game on. He's not finished with you. He's not done. He's got a plan for your life. There is hope and there is a future. You simply need to put your life into his hands. And you can do that today. You can do that today. Bow your heads and pray with me. Dear Heavenly Father, God, I thank you. I thank you for uh, people like Peter. I thank you for people like Joseph. I thank you that, you know, there was a time in their lives when they must have thought, It must have believed that it really was over. It was done. The circumstances were out of their control. They could never amount to anything or do anything. or Maybe not just even the circumstances, but their own decisions, their own choices. They had had completely walked away from you and turned their back on you. And God, I believe there are people here today that can relate to that feel like it's game over God I look at this church and you know what I think the best is yet to come you are doing something amazing here it is not game over it's game on and you're ready for, for countless people to come home to simply believe in Jesus to put their trust and their faith in him and what he did for them on the cross and do you know you can do that right here right now you don't have to come forward in tears. You don't have to be at some big revival meeting. It really—it could be at home. It could be on the car ride home. It could be at night by yourself with no one but your thoughts in the Lord. But right here, right now, why not today? Why not just open up your heart to God and say, God, today I want to come home. Today I believe. I put my trust and my faith in Jesus and in Him alone and what He did for me that cross for a while now God I have I've either blamed my circumstances or I just I just knew that I've walked away it was the things that I did, my choices, my decisions today God I want to come home, forgive me for all of that, in fact today I, I turned my back on it and I walk toward you, and I ask Jesus to be my Savior and my Lord. And for the rest of my days, God, I just wanna, I just wanna follow Him. I wanna become more and more like you see me now today, forgiven, brand new, clean. Thank you, Father. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for forgiving me. It, it really is game on, and I look forward to discovering day by day the plan and the hope that you have for me and figuring out how you want to use me in this world to to make a difference, to, to reach out to people, to live for Christ. Thank you, Father, thank you. And Father, I pray for our church today. May we spread the good news to the world around us that it's not over. It's not over. In fact, the only reason that Jesus did not return last night, this morning, was simply to make more time for more people to come home, and so coastal, it's game on. Use us to reach out to this world, to love people, to serve, to give, to share, and share the good news of the hope that we have of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's in His name we pray.